Uh, welcome, and welcome to a, a good friend, I hope. Uh, sometimes a good friend. I'm never quite sure because he can be difficult. He can be ordinary. He can be actually sometimes even on exchange just be horrible, all right? But to the podcast, because he told me uh, when I first asked him about the podcast, is he said to me, here, look at mine because it's so much better than yours. <laughs> I'm, sure he'll, I'm sure he'll get the opportunity of saying that when we get into it. But the one, the great Alistair Campbell. Hi, Alistair, how are you? I'm fine. When was I horrible? Come on. Every time I have an exchange with you, you have a dig. That's not being horrible. That's a sign <laughs> of affection. You know, listen, mate, if you don't get the digs, you've got to start worrying. I'm a bit worried about your neck, though. Have you got a bit of a problem with your neck because you seem to need some neck support? Is that age? <laughs> you mean this chair? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a problem with my back, and this chair was the solution. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, there are a couple of things. Obviously, I'm very interested in your opinion. And the Irish one, I'm going to go straight for because it's obviously very near and dear to me. So what do you think of the wonderful Boris Johnson and his uh, successes with all of the untruths he has told every single audience about Northern Ireland? Mm. <clears throat> well, it makes, my, it makes my blood boil, actually. Um, and I was listening to a podcast last night, fine enough, a German thing, where the London correspondent of the Spiegel was talking about these Brexit and Johnson and Ireland. And he was saying, as a matter of fact, he said something that you never hear a British journalist saying. He said, the problem is Boris Johnson has just told different lies at different stages of this process. Now, that's the truth. But yes. you never hear that called out in the British media. Mm -hmm. And every time I see that clip of him saying, you know, if you get anybody says you fill in a form or whatever, you send, put in the bin and get them to phone the prime minister. Well, you know, he's a lying shit, I'm afraid. And, um, and, and it's a mess. This Irish thing is a mess because there is no Man. solution that fits with the vision of Brexit that they have sold to the people who bought it. I know. And that well, remains the case now. They, well, they've told the Irish that uh, <coughs> border, they've told the unionists that there'll be no border in the sea and they've told everybody else there'll be no customs union. So there's three lies there that will never actually quite match up with each other. And they've, to they've told everybody that it's going to be easy and it's difficult. Yeah. They've told everybody, they told everybody at one stage, we're going to have all the benefits of the single market without being in it, which is a lie. I mean, you could go on for, you could go on for weeks. Mm. With, and what I can't understand, this is what, you know, he makes my blood boil, but what gets me going at a kind of political and cultural level is that the media and parliament to a great extent have just kind of accepted it. We now have a lying government. Yeah. Now, we used to get accused of lying, which we didn't do. Yeah. People like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove were forever writing, you know, Tony Blair, Alistair Campbell, the great Labour lie machine, blah, blah, blah. We didn't. This lot do. We still get criticised over, you know, whether it's Iraq or whether it's, you know, some of the, the stuff, the so-called spin and what have you. This, these lot don't spin, they lie. Do you think that that's, that's a normal part of political discourse these days? Do you not think that that's what, what, it, what it's all about? Like the great lie that they talk about Trump, you know, isn't politics all about lying now? I don't think it is, and I don't think it has been. I mean, if you take, you mentioned Northern Ireland, if you go back to the Good Friday Agreement and the, the build up to that, there were lots of, there's, there's a lot of finessing goes on. You maybe sometimes say one thing to one guy in the room, 
and then somebody else comes in and you, you, you give them a slightly different take because you're trying to get them to the same place. That I think is very different. Where I think this is, I mean, you mentioned Trump. Trump is clearly a liar. I think Putin's very important in this because Putin and Trump have shown populists like Johnson that if you have a big enough base that's kind of in the 30s, in the 40s in our system, get 40% of the vote and you're winning, okay? Then you can do what the hell you want. And Putin has shown that. Um, and I think Johnson's, by, I think it's as much about what Putin gets. Johnson's, look, I've known him for a long time. Johnson is somebody who wakes up in the morning. He does not think, how do I get these people who are sleeping on the streets? How do I get them a home? He does not think, how do I help these Northern Ireland businessmen? He does not think, how do I get these kids back into school? He thinks, how is all this affecting me? How is this affecting my political ambitions and strategies? That's all he cares about. And we have to wise up to that. You know, it's a, it's a tragedy. And, 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 you know, for me personally, what they're putting at risk, you know, I, 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 was, I, I was the, you know, the HR guy for Northern Ireland for a long time, right? Right early in my career, you know, I, I walked down the street in Dublin and a bomb went off behind me and killed 10 people that I turned, that I missed, literally missed by about 100 yards. Um, and, you know, when I see the kind of human cost and the human tragedy as, as an Irish person, you know, there is no kind of right or wrong. There's just right and right in this. Um, well, but, and also, but also, the, the, I, I, th I actually think they're indifferent to it. I think that, you know, if, if something like that did happen, right? So at the moment, they're blaming the Europeans. Why won't the Europeans extend the grace period? Well, that's what you negotiated. You negotiate or don't you? Why won't the Europeans let us into the single market? Because you left the single market. Why won't the Irish, you know, why are the Irish deciding to exploit what's happened by extending the routes from Irish ports direct to France and direct to Spain and so forth? Answer, because, you know, they've been hit by this as well and they've got to respond. And what they, so what, if something like that did happen, if you did get perish the thought back to sort of, you know, paramilitary violence and, and so forth, they'd find somebody else to blame. It's what they do. What do you think is the answer? Well, the answer is probably impossible. The answer is actually to undo this madness. Um, but I don't see that's going to happen. Um, do you, do you see so, the answer as asking, asking the Northern Irish people whether they want a border at the, at the, between them and the Republic, whether they want a border um, in the Irish Sea or whether they want to be in the Customs Union? Why wouldn't that question be asked? Well, because they are three very different, very complicated questions that all flow from the question that was answered in the 2016 referendum. Um, now, it was won on lies, it was sold on lies, false promises were made. And the, but those questions, you could say to people, do you want a border poll? Right. But then what do you do with the result? And what happens as a result of the result? If, for example, the losing side decides, no, we're not having that. We're going to go back to the old ways. Um, I mean, they're playing with fire, these guys, and I, I, I think they don't care. I think it's all a game. I mean, here's the thing, you, Morris. I was a journalist before I went working in, in for Tony Blair. Um, but I've de watching Johnson and Gove, I've definitely reached the view you should never, ever put journalists in power. <laughs> it's a game. It's about the stories. It's about the stories. It's about the characters. It's about the gossip. Honestly, they're, they're terrible people. 
And so that, that leads me into, um, you know, your Scotland and what do you think will happen in Scotland now with the SNP and the Scottish poll? You know, as a nationalist, I'll declare right up front, you know, I would always be in favour of independence, wherever that independence would be based upon, you know, the rights of the individuals to vote for it. Where would your view on it be? I think I think it's very very hard to call, and I think it's been complicated quite a lot by this recent stuff with Salmond and Sturgeon. Um, you know, and the, the SNP have now been. You've got to remember when we first brought in the Scottish Parliament, the Devolution Act. This the the electoral system that we devised was deliberately because we were so powerful in Scotland then, was deliberately designed so that no single party would ever get majority power. Mm. Right. Well, the SNP did that within half a generation mm. and I wonder whether some of what is happening now is because there is a time where people started thinking oh god have these guys been in power for too long that happened to us it happens to a lot of people sadly it hasn't yet happened to the wretched low lives down here but I think if there was a I don't know what's going to happen Let, let's assume the SNP do really really well in the election I think they're still going to do well whether if you know they might not that's why this salmon sturgeon, if that has affected them badly, and Labour don't seem like they're doing that well, but if a bit more votes, sports go to the Tories, they don't know. But let's say that plays out with an SNP win, but not quite as big as people expected. And Johnson just holds firm in saying the British Parliament is not going to grant a referendum. Well, the, the British Parliament has the power to do that, and he has the majority for that. Mm. So where it goes then, I just don't know. Um, mm. If there was a referendum tomorrow, I think Johnson helps their cause, helps the independence cause. Mm. Um, Europe helps the independence cause because Scotland, and it is quite, it's quite strange how, you know, in a way the SNP and Johnson both using the reverse of arguments that they used before. Johnson, it's a terrible thing to leave a successful union. Uh, and, and the, you know, and the SNP, we want to be independent so that we can join another union. Well, you know, these are kind of, so where the public is at the moment, I think it's very unclear. Mm. There's no doubt the SNP are the most popular party by a mile. Mm. Independence has got more support than it had before, but whether it's there yet, I don't know. Mm. And, and 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 where what you know coming back to are you a member of the Labour Party these days? No, I'm not. Have they not have they not invited you back in or have you not? No, I've not applied. And um look, I still feel Labour. I, I talk about Labour and I still say we and you know, we're not doing very well. Um but I was kicked out for voting Lib Dem in the European elections, and I think yeah. it's a, I think it's, a, I think it's a five-year sentence. And I'm, you never know. Depends who's in the office on the day when your application goes in as to whether they're going to say yes or no. And I don't. And also Fiona, re, she actually resigned before I was kicked out over the anti-Semitism mm. stuff and mm. over Brexit. And she's she's actually got she's got no desire to go back in. She says she's actually felt liberated. Um, I still feel a little bit. I feel like I'm Labour, and I and I, I loathe this government so much, and I feel I ought to be able to do more to, to help. But you know, what do you do? They've got majority. They don't care what anybody thinks. They don't care about Parliament. They don't care about public opinion. You know. But do you think them. that the current leader, the current Labour leadership, is doing enough as an opposition to what's going on? No, is is the short answer. I think it's been. I, I understand why it's been so difficult. Pandemic can't travel around the country so easily parliament's very different all the kind of the big announcements are all in the hands of the government i get all that 
But I think on two things, I think I think they've been, I understand why they wanted to be broadly supportive on COVID, but I don't think they did enough to call out in the early days the terrible mistakes that were being made. And Johnson now thinks he can get away with it because the vaccination programme has gone well. We've got the worst death rate in Europe, um, mm. and we, apart from Belgium, which has got a different calculation, and we've got the worst economic hit um, of, the, of, the, of the major economies of the world. You know, it's, a total, it's been a total failure with one success, and that's the only thing here the government and most of the media talking about. So I think they were too soft on COVID, and I also think it was a mistake to support the Brexit deal. Mm. Um, and added to which, I think that, you know, but I did, I did, um, on, um, thank you for mentioning the podcast, the excellent podcast I do with my daughter, which is so much better than yours. Um, <laughs> is that a horrible thing to say? But it I did, I talked to David Lambert to say, The only thing you can say, because I listened to it, you know, at least you're sitting beside a real talent. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, no, but I, uh, David, I was talking to David Lammy a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said, you just got to understand, when we lose as badly as we lost in the election with Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, the public stopped listening to us. And we're not back in the room with them yet. And we've mm. got to get back in the room. Now, if that's the challenge, then you've got to work at that. Mm. Um, this, this government, this government should not be ahead of the poll. Do you think Keir Starmer is, is the person to lead them back? Well, I think he's definitely got, you know, he looks the part. He, I think people can see him in, in Downing Street in a, in a way they couldn't see Corbyn. Mm. Um, so he's definitely got strengths and everything he's done in the past, he's done it well. Um, but I think there's just got to be much, it's got to be much more aggressive, it's got to be much more focused, and the team has got to rise up a bit as well. I mean, you know, most members of the Shadow Cabinet, the public don't know who they are. Yeah, uh, that's good. And, you know, I, I often refer to Keir as a, a, a kind of being a member of the Labour Party, being a member of the Labour Party, but I often refer to Keir as, as the weatherman. Right. Um, you know, he's very good at predicting the weather, but he's not quite so good as telling us where we need to be or what we need to do in order to protect ourselves or to avoid it. Um, so, you know, from from my perspective, looking in, I, I, I find, you know, there's a lack of real vision, a lack of a real strategy. And perhaps there is a lack of a depth of leadership to deliver. So, yeah, well, it, I can see what I can see why you say that. Probably get expelled. Yeah, if, if Corbyn was the leader, he'd be expelled by now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the, I just, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of the time and I'm, 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 I know that you've said you've got something much more important to do than, uh, than chat to me, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I wanted to touch upon mental health because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a topic um, that right through the pandemic that I have seen significant problems with and, and everybody I've been coaching uh, and I've seen a lot of people because I do a, a BBC programme uh, up here on, on motivation, mental health, various stuff and I get a a lot of commentary from that. And I've seen a, a rise of, in my numbers, and based upon my own experience of 70% of people saying to me that, you know, that mentally they have been affected by the pandemic and that 30% of their relationships have been damaged by their pandemic. Right, and I, and I know, you know, you know that you're significant, as most people do, that you're a significant campaigner. Where do you think we're at? I don't think we're in a good place, to be honest, because I agree with you. I think that, look, on one hand, I've been really impressed by my kids yeah. and their friends and that generation. Yeah. Actually, they have been amazingly kind of adaptive and resilient. And um, But I think if you go through, you know, school children who couldn't go to school, couldn't take exams, students who were locked away in horrible bed sets, not being able to study properly, frontline workers, businesses affected, 
you know, Europe, I know Europe in the Northeast, and I can remember during the financial, the global financial crisis, remember Alan Milburn telling me that he was, he was changing the, the pattern of his journey south because so many of his train journeys were being disrupted by, you know, bodies on the line. Yes. Now, I think there will be some of that coming because of the economic consequences and some of the, you know, just if you, if you just think how many people are suffering through the, through the death toll, 130,000 sets of families and sets yeah. of friends, some of whom couldn't see their loved ones before they died, some of whom, you know, I mean, that's, that sort of eats away at people if you're not careful. Yeah. And, I, and I don't believe that we have the gov a government with the commitment. At least Cameron and May talk the talk. This lot don't even talk the talk. They announced the thing the other day, £78 million for COVID mental health. I mean, £78 million in the government budget is, you're talking back of the sofa stuff. Yeah. They don't get it. And so I really worry. But I think, by the way, you talk about coaching. And, you know, I, I wrote a book about, about depression that came out during the lockdown. In, 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 and I think that one of the things I think that if the government is not going to step up, then individuals are going to have to step up for each other. Families are going to have to step up. And businesses as employers have become mm. incredibly important in this area. Mm. And actually some businesses, I, you like this. I did an event the other day with the Bank of Ireland where it was an all staff event, all of their staff on this kind of, you know, big online thing where I was the guest speaker and the, and the chief executive of the whole bank stood up and said, from now, our number one priority is not profit and loss, it's not clients and rest. Our number one priority is the mental health and well-being of our staff, because without that, we're not going to meet these other challenges. Mm. And I think that's the approach we've got to take. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I'm sure you, you would understand, and you'll probably understand better than me, you know, that the, the impact now is the challenge that we're going to have is, you know, the effect it will have, you know, downstream. Because I don't think that we're feeling the real effect right now. And a lot of people who are suffering right now, we know that it will carry on. And in your own minds, you tend to make it better or you tend to make it worse or it tends to become more extreme or the yeah. depression tends to kind of flow much faster as a result. Well, listen, Morris, I, I write in the, quite a look in the book about my psychiatrist, a guy called David Sturgeon. And I'm quite rare for him in the arm in my 60s, right? most his day job is working in one of the London universities. And he says that the, 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 the levels of real deep mental health challenges for young people, and something is happening that we don't fully understand. Anxiety, self-harm, addiction issues, and so forth. So I think, I think you're right. I think this is, at the moment, I understand why the government is absolutely fixated to get through the pandemic and the economy. I get all that. But... Coming down the track, I think this is, there's the potential for this to be a second pandemic. Mm. Um, and if we're still in a position of saying, oh, well, as long as we talk about it, it's fine. Well, yeah, it's fine. But then if you talk about it and you need support and you need services and the services are, are not there, we're in, we're in a mess. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I again, you know, I, I thank you for your time. I, I'll finish with one question and that's uh, Megan and the Royal Family. Which, which side are you on? Well, I don't, I hate the way this thing's playing out, actually. Uh, the, the thing I'm, off, I'm about to do is talking to Jeremy Vine about this, this very thing. I mean, I'm not on a side, to be honest. I think that one of the things that's wrong with our kind of media culture, we've got so much media space, but very little kind of understanding and, and real debate and very little room for shades of grey. 
And if you look to the reaction, right, if you didn't like Megan in the first place, you don't like her even more. If you liked her in the first place, you like her even more. If you thought the royals were a bunch of out of touch establishment toffs, you think it even more. If you thought the queen was the most wonderful person in the human being on the planet, you think it even more. If you thought Piers Morgan was a great journalist, you think it more. If you hate, thought he was a complete, you know, and so it goes on. Yes. And, and I, you know, I had a thing yesterday. I wasn't even following it because I was actually finishing my next book. I was right towel on head. I was doing the proofread of the next volume of diaries. And I came up my, up for air after a few hours and I just had a little look on social media. And there's a thing on there, one of the first things I saw, it said, this is all happening because Alistair Campbell made Harry walk behind his mum's coffin. Thought, so what's happened there is somebody who doesn't like me yeah. wants to say, I've got, and it's just like, that's the world we're in. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's not, it's not healthy. But thank you very much for sparing these wonderful few moments with me. It's always interesting. Well, listen, it was, it was lovely to talk to you. And unlike, unlike most people on the podcast, you don't do that thing of asking, you know, 100 questions and thinking this can go on for hours. I'm very grateful. Not at all. Well, it's the professional in me. You know that, right? I, I, do. I, know, I, do, I do know that. I, I, I'm used to doing uh, coaching calls by the hour, so I don't get paid, so then I stop. Um, I joke. <laughs> I joke. But thank you for your time. Good luck with the next call. And uh, I'll see you soon. All right, mate. Nice to see you again. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Take care, Maurice. All the best. Bye. If you're interested in change, mindset and personal development, whether in your personal life or career, you can head over to maurystuffy.com forward slash resources, where you'll be able to access loads of inspirational material articles, podcasts and motivational thoughts, as well as meditation and visualisation exercises. You can also get in touch with Dr. Maurice Duffy and his team by email on letstalkatmaurisduffy.com. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Simply search for At The Beak Squawks.